For important disclosure information, please visit acgwealthmanagement.com forward slash podcast disclosure. Hello, and welcome to ACG Wealth Management's Investor Insights. This is our April edition. I'm Bobby Moyer, and I'm joined with my colleague, Sandy Wiggins. This represents the end of March, which also represents the end of the quarter. So in addition to monthly returns, we'll also touch on a little bit of what happened throughout the first quarter. Despite a banking crisis, which we'll touch on a little bit later, the S&P 500 finished March positive by 3.67% and finished the quarter positive by 7.5%. For both the month and quarter, growth outperformed value by over 2%. The technology and growth-heavy NASDAQ had an exceptionally strong performance during the quarter, returning 17.05%. The rally was fueled by mega-cap tech and growth, while small-cap stocks lost 5.2% in March and finished positive the quarter by 2.5%. Mid-cap stocks lost 3.2% in the month and were positive by 3.8% for the quarter. Developed international stocks had a good month returning 2.5% in March and outperformed the S&P 500 during the quarter returning 8.5%. Emerging market returns were also strong in March returning 3% but only returned 4% for the quarter. Sandy, we normally don't touch on individual stocks but why don't you go over some of the headlining stocks since I think they made up a big story of the first quarter. Mega cap companies were really the driver of the market. We'll touch on a few of the bigger names of the S&P 500. Apple was up 27%. Microsoft Microsoft 20.5, Amazon 23%, NVIDIA crushed it with a return over 90%, Tesla was up 68%, Meta and Facebook were up 76%, and Google was up 17%. At the end of the quarter, these were seven of the eight largest companies of the S&P 500, and the one that we didn't include was Berkshire Hathaway, which was flat for the quarter. A couple of other interesting numbers to touch on, the S&P 500 Equal Weight Index was up only 2.89%, and the S&P 500 Regional Bank ETF was down 28% in March and 24.7% for the quarter. A couple of other numbers to look at regarding the sectors and their performance during the quarter. Technology was up 21.8%. Consumer services was up 20.5%. Consumer discretionaries was up 16%. The laggers for the quarter were financials. They were down 5.6% for the quarter. Energy was down 4.7%. And healthcare was down 4.3% for the quarter. The bond market had a strong quarter. Interest rates actually fell during the quarter as a result of the banking crisis, which created a strong environment for bonds. Bloomberg aggregate bond index returned 2.54% in March, and for the quarter, it was up 2.96%. Over the past several quarters, we've been talking about the Fed's interest rate policy, inflation, the potential of a recession, and will the Fed continue to raise rates until something breaks? Well, enter March, and the Fed may have broken something. The banking system was in a little bit of turmoil in early to mid-March. We saw a number of banks, or three banks, shutter operations. We saw Silvergate Banks, which was a big crypto bank, decided to shut down on their own. Then we've had two other banks taken over by the government. Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank were both closed within a couple days of each other. This bank run uh, caused a little bit of uncertainty and angst through the markets uh, in the middle of the month. The cause of this was, you know, multifaceted. You had a number of maybe some mismanagement. You've had a concentration in clientele. Another major cause was how quickly the Fed raised rates, which caused the bonds held on the banks as collateral lose value, uh, which really made the banks unstable and caused 
uh, a run on deposits. In one day, Silicon Valley Bank saw a 42 billion flow out. That just speaks to the situation that we're in with how quickly you could get money out of a bank that you could wake up and just move it on your phone. There's no waiting in line at the ATM or to get to a bank to get your money out. So that complicates things. But with all this, we could spend an hour talking about what's going on with the banking crisis. But I think what we're gonna to touch on today maybe are some of the high points of, you know, what, what does that mean for the economy going forward? And what does that mean for the Fed um, in their you know, future, what they're gonna do from a, a rate hike standpoint? I think maybe one of the biggest concerns that we have looking at the banking crisis is the impact on small and community banks. The FDIC came in and said that they would insure all uninsured deposits, so anything over 250000 uh, There's some purists out there who say this is a bad idea, it's a moral hazard. Uh, you know, I, I kind of think that's crazy. If, if the government didn't come in and do that, you would have seen a run on these small and community banks across the country, and that would not be good for the economy and the banking situation that we're in. So overall, I think that was a good thing to see that, that they were able to step in. But it also now has these small and community banks, you know, a little bit more cautious and they may limit how much lending they're willing to do. Higher rates may limit how much a consumer is willing to go to the bank and borrow because the borrowing costs are so high. But now even a qualified buyer, somebody who wants to, may not be able to get a loan if you're gonna be involved in having to go to the bank and, and all this turmoil in their banking system. There was $100 billion in outflows from small and mid-cap banks and community banks to larger banks like Chase and Bank of America. So all this is going on and creating a little bit of a liquidity issue. And how is that going to help small businesses who bank in the community bank world? Commercial real estate is really big in going to small and mid-sized banks. So as we look forward, you know, that's going to maybe put a little bit of harm and maybe cause a recession or could help slow down the economy more. On one hand, maybe that's a little bit deflationary that we slow it down and helps the Fed do its job. But I think it also puts the Fed in a little bit of a, a tough spot as they're trying to shore up the banking system, which financial stability is something they have to keep an eye on, but they're also continuing to raise rates and make things harder on the economy. What are your thoughts on that, Sandy? Bobby, you make some great points on that. You know, the Fed really is, is um, walking a tightrope between fighting inflation well, now they've got to make sure they keep the banking system stable. And so there's, there's um, a lot of eyes on the, uh, the May meeting, May 3rd, and what they're going to do as far as interest rates. And it's about a 50-50 split between no rate uh, increase and an increase of 25 basis points. So, you know, certainly they'll continue to watch data between now and then, and all eyes will be on the next press conference. There's also uh, speculation in the market that there'll be a rate cut or, or two perhaps by the end of the year. And we all like lower rates, uh, consumers, businesses, the market certainly likes lower rates. Growth stocks. Growth stocks you have crushed it uh, over the last quarter as, as a result of uh, the falling interest rates. But we also want to step back and ask ourselves, with a, a rate cut or two at the end of the year, although that sounds great, we might need to temper our expectations because what's going to drive that rate cut? If the Fed's dropping interest rates, it means that the economy is softened perhaps more than, than uh, we're expecting. You know, it, lower interest rates are great, but we've got to take that with a grain of salt. And talking about the strength of the economy, uh, we, can, we can report that data came out at the end of March said, saying that the annual 2022 GDP growth came in at a solid 2.6%, even with all that went on last year and all the concerns that, that were 
voiced in the headlines. So there's still a lot of resilience uh, in the market. Yeah, that's that's for sure. The Fed definitely has a tough fight ahead of it. You know, but it's it's interesting. Price price speaks, right? The, the market. What is the market saying too? That's part of all this. And you know, fund strats. Tom Lee's permeable. We get that. You know, he had a good point out um, on Friday, the last day of the month. You know, the market typically is not in a bear market when you get two back-to-back positive quarters of the S&P 500, and this is two back-to-back seven and a half percent returns for the S&P 500. So it begs the question: Is the October lows? Is that the lows of this bear market cycle? It's really, that's been a a pretty strong run here over the last two quarters when there's been a lot of negative sentiment out there, a lot of concerns, even myself included, you know, coming into this year, not really as bullish as the market has has played out. And now you come into April and we look at from a seasonality standpoint, you know, these technical analysts have all these numbers they look at on historical data and April historically pre-election year could be a strong month. So this rally may continue into April, but of course, you know, the numbers you talked about earlier we're backward looking, right? And now we're looking at forward looking. But also it's interesting, Sandy, that we had 2.6% GDP growth in 2022, and the market peak to trough was down 25, 27% uh, during a a period of time during the year. So that doesn't really work, does it? You know, a recession and the market down 25, 27%. So now do we get a recession this year? Does that mean the market has to come down or, or did we already price that in last year? You know, these are the tough questions investors have and if you're trying to be tactical or, you know, you think you're smarter than the market, it's, it could be a humbling experience. So we like to talk to our clients about developing an asset allocation, about remaining invested. Because when you start trying to time the market, get too tactical, that's when it gets really complicated and you miss out on 7.5% back-to-back quarterly returns when news is not expected to be great going forward. Uh, so, you know, it, it's complicated sentiment, it, you know, tends when sentiment's low like it was at the end of last year. Markets rally, and even in October, you know, you get to see these rallies. And when sentiment's really high coming into 2022, we had a negative year. Uh, so, you know, Sandy, it's as we close this out, it's really hard to be in in, the, in a tactical investor. But you got to have a plan. You got to have a discipline. And staying invested is a long-term game, and maybe not always fun to talk about at cocktail parties or out with your friends. But I think you'll be better off as an investor long-term. Yeah, you want to build up a, a boat that's going to be an all-weather vessel, right? You don't want to want to try to figure out what's the new tool or trick in the marketplace because ultimately that's just chasing the hot dot, the hot return. And as you said, sentiment really uh, can can swing very quickly from positive to negative. And keeping a cool head and sticking with a strategy, whatever that strategy might be, is really the biggest key, I think, in a, in a long-term successful. Uh, portfolio result. Yeah, I think, Sandy, that's a good point, and I appreciate you joining me today. You know, I think we'll wrap it up here, and, and you know, just as we as we close out, April kicks off another earnings season. We get to listen to CEOs and see how the first quarter went, and that which will be interesting. More inflation data, the May 3rd meeting you you referenced. So still a lot of data coming out. Uh, we'll keep an eye on and, and see how we finish, and we'll see you back here next month. Thanks. For important disclosure information, please visit acgwealthmanagement.com forward slash podcast disclosure.